this series has been really, really fun and good for me. Um, I've been adoring God for his patience in teaching me. You think a sermon, what is the church, should be like a pastor's opening sermon series when he begins at a church, and here we are nine years in. But it's been so good to get to go through this study. I'm so thankful for what God's been showing. And today we're going to talk about the church's priorities. Have you ever been into a hoarder's house? <laughs> I've been in your house. Your house is not a hoarder's house. Jean, and I did change her name for privacy. She's not from around here, but she was a hoarder who through work discovered that I was an organizer and she hired me to organize her shed. Impressed by how I did with the shed, she went up a not level and said, why don't you organize my garage? So I began to organize her garage and uh, that's when I found out that hoarders do not like throwing things away, even mouse-eaten rugs. And a few of them might have slipped into the trash unbeknownst to her. And, uh, but as I cleaned that up, organized her garage, she loved that. And so she said, why don't you organize my house? My contract ended pretty quickly uh, when I went into the basement. And even though... She hired me for her basement. It looked like a Goodwill. She had around 100 boxes of shoes, original boxes. She had kept all the shoes she'd purchased for the last several years. She had four brand-new dog beds, several brand-new dog blankets. She literally had a, a rack, you know those racks at Goodwill where they, they hang all the clothes? She had one of those in her basement just full of sweaters and clothes and all sorts of different outfits she had electronics and general clutter, and through it, she had a pathway that led to the washer and dryer, which if you know anything about hoarding, that's very common. They have pathways to the microwave and pathways to the chair and pathways to the TV, and it was really sad, but when I told her that she would need to throw away around 70% of the stuff in the basement, my contract was done. It ended. But as I thought about that, I wondered and thought this. She wanted a clean home, but she didn't want a clean house. She wanted a clean home, but she didn't want a clean ch house. Are there churches, though, as churches, are we very different? We want people to be saved, but we don't want certain programs to die. We want a pastor who organizes the mess instead of throwing away the unnecessary. Are we open to being evaluated we may miss many blessings if we aren't. And how often, this is our first slide here, Matthew 23, 37. Jesus said, how often I would have gathered you as together, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Yet you were not willing. And I hope that cannot be true said of us. And so what we need to look down at, when you narrow it down, what are the priorities that a church should have? And I think that there are four things. And I think this is a, a good picture for us. You ever been to a football game? How many sides are there are of a football field? Two. <laughs> you, have, you have out of bounds over here, out of bounds over there, and then you have both end zones, right? And how they play, all that the players need to do is they need to stay on the inside. You step out and you get in trouble, right? That's, that's how it works. So think of these four points as targets or boundaries that a church should shoot at and work within. Target number one, be a gathering church. 
We've heard before the verse that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the matter of some. Verse 42, though, says, and they devoted themselves. They implies more than one, right? They implies that there is a group of people, be a gathering church. Verse 44 says, and all who believed were together. That's more than one people. You have to come together. And this, verse 46 says, day by day, they attended the temple together. The early church was a gathering church. You know, when doctors are testing a new drug, they have a placebo group and then the actual drug group. And you don't know which one you're in. Otherwise, how <laughs> it wouldn't really work. But the placebo group is given. And that's, I looked it up on WebMD. WebMD describes a placebo as anything that seems to be real medical treatment but isn't. Listen to this. Are there any placebo churches? Yeah, there are. Um, and I say this with all love, but for those of you gathering online, this is not, it's not church online. Church has to come together. And I think what happened with COVID is everyone went online, didn't we? And we needed to, and that was good. But it was just a placebo. It wasn't the real thing. And some people found that they liked the placebo, and it worked out well for them. Our definition for the church, though, is the church is God's people called out of death, Coming together to accomplish God's plan on earth. Have you noticed? Do we have the background slide? There we go. Have you noticed that in our, in our picture for what is the church, there's a whole bunch of people together holding hands? That's because that's the church. The church is people called out of death into life, coming together to accomplish God's plan on earth. What should we do when we get together? We should devote ourselves to two things, teaching and to fellowship. When it says the breaking of bread and prayers, that's underneath the fellowship. Church gathers on Sunday to humble ourselves under the word. We sing, prepare our hearts to hear the word. We give and listen to the word preached with readiness to respond through confession, praise, and change in action. So, letter A is you gather for teaching. Letter B is you gather for fellowship. We are to gather for fellowship. And that's the one I want to spend the majority of our time on. Remember, the body grows as the body gathers. The body grows as the body gathers. A, week, a few weeks ago, I was driving to Mason City, and I noticed a pile of lumber on the way out of town. If you're headed south out of town, there's a pile of lumber um, out on acreage. And just the other day, I drove right back by, and that pile of lumber is now a building. And it has walls, and it has a roof. Why? Because the pieces have been put together. It had all that it needed, but the pieces had to be put together. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, You are God's building. And the pieces have to be put together. How many of us would really like, and God uses the picture of a body, how many of us would like all of our fingers to be chopped off? <laughs> no, thank you. I want my body together. I want the pieces together, and the church needs to be coming together. The word devoted means they had constant action that never lets up, confident of results. So church, let us be devoted to getting together. Years ago, I asked many in our church, and I've shared this before, how are you doing in relationships? And whether you've been here for 30 years or three years or three months, they said, I don't really feel that connected. And so then we brought in small groups to try to develop those connections and encourage them because we must be devoted to getting together outside these walls. And that's harder and harder in our day and age. You got to devote yourself to getting together because we got our phones. We can connect on our phones, and we've got all sorts of things that we want to do. But listen, it is usually outside of these walls that you really begin to find out about a person. It is outside of these walls that moms might share how they feel like failures. Do you know how 
I talk to moms, and when, in moments of honesty, almost every single mom I've ever met feels like a failure. Almost every single mom I've ever met. Very, very few moms are like, man, I am killing it with this child-raising thing. Have you seen my kids? They're like dope. I mean, you wish your kids were as good as mine. I've never met a mom that felt like that. But guess what? Today in church, none of the moms are going to stand up and be like, I'm really struggling with my kids, and it's really, really hard, and I feel like a failure. No mom's going to stand up and do that. Why? Because you've got to get together outside the church to find that out. Outside of these walls are where you discover that someone had had a miscarriage, and it was really, really difficult for them. That they wanted to have a baby, and they tried for so long, and then they weren't able to. Outside of these walls is when you find out that someone struggles with infertility or depression or they're going through financial struggles. It's outside of these walls that you find out about people who have gone through abuse. And you've heard the statistics about abuse, but when you meet someone and they open it up to you, it's almost never happening in the church. Not on Sunday where someone says, Hi, I'm Aaron, and I've been abused by this. That's not how we start conversations. Why? Because we've got to be devoted to getting together outside the church. It's outside of the church that you find about joys and sorrows, hobbies, favorite verses, addictions, and sin. And so that's why you have to devote yourself because it's not natural. You've got to devote yourself to getting together outside of these walls. And so as we think about that, the Greek word, he says, they devoted themselves to fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. And just a couple of years ago, we had a, a family come to our church and Never met us before. It was shortly after COVID. They found us online, and they were so excited that we were back together. And I went up and introduced myself, and the man said, Hi, I'm Mark Goosen. And they're gone right now, and I told him I was talking about him, so just don't worry about it. But uh, <laughs> I'm Mark Goosen, and they hadn't been in church in a while. And they came here, and they started coming. They started talking to you guys, and they coming to small groups, and they're just a part of our prayer meeting. And I remember a couple months into it, Mark says, Pastor, I feel like a kid in a candy store. I was like, what does that mean? He goes, koinonia, koinonia. Every time I come here, I got koinonia, which is fellowship. He used to be a pastor. And so I, I just thought it was so funny. He's using the Greek word for fellowship. And I'm like, I love this guy. Uh, but what he had was people together to care for him. And guess what? They're gone to Salem's graduation and there was a person this week who went and watched. Well, the person this week who was watching their mom wanted a little bit of time off. And someone from our church took about four or five hours to go and sit with Esther May's mom outside the church. She was devoted to gathering so that someone else could be blessed and go somewhere else. Target, so we need to be devoted to being a gathering church. Target number two, be devoted to being a generous church. Be a generous church. Verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. We've got a couple of Sailorville people here, and they're engaged networking. Yeah, sorry, you're not supposed to call people out from the pulpit, I know. But anyway, Sailorville people, one of the things that the engaged network is known for is that idea of our people are for the greater Des Moines area. And so just recently they launched Eden Church. Eden Church is taken off with John Nembers and apparently Pastor John II too. So they got two, and they go to these different churches and say, who wants to go with us on mission to reach this area? And they said, well, this, the people are God's people, and so we want to use them for good. 
And what we have is God's stuff, so we want to use it for good. Listen, the early church was not popular. Their main leaders were often thrown in prison. What would happen if you came to church one Sunday like, hey, Pastor Aaron's in prison again? <laughs> it would sound a little bit different now, but that was normal back then. The Philippian church would come, or the Ephesian church would come, like, Paul's in prison again. He did that whole thing where he's witnessing to these bigwigs that keep throwing him in prison. And Peter's in prison again. <laughs> that was part of, they were not popular. Jesus was described as having no place to lay his head. Some were persecuted. They had their houses burned. Saul at this time was ravaging the church and destroying families. Listen, the church in America today is rich, but sometimes we're the poorer for it. We're rich, but we're the poorer for it. When it says they were selling their possessions, the idea in the Greek is that there was, as there was a need, they would sell their possessions from time to time. It was not like communism or socialism where they were just living together in a commune. But this is what one quote says, their commitment to Jesus and the work of the Spirit in their lives produced in them a completely new attitude toward their property. No longer are they motivated to amass wealth for themselves, but they now view what they have as resources for the cause of Christ and the care of his people. How do you view your stuff? Is it a resource for the cause of Christ or is it your stuff? You know, I'm really, really glad that there are people who know how to sing <laughs> and use the resource of a good voice for the cause of Christ. We now record the singing, and the, one of the things that scares me is that right up front, this microphone will pick up me. <laughs> but they use it for the cause of Christ. But to be generous, we must know the needs. And to know the needs, we must be in situations and places where people are comfortable sharing their needs. That's why we've got to devote ourselves to fellowship. Listen, the people who know the most about you usually are the people who hang out with you outside of the church. So happy Father's Day. One of the things that we can do, husbands, is say, happy Mother's Day. We need to be devoted to getting together. And I know that I really need to clean the bathroom if you're going to be comfortable having anyone in our home. So I'm going to go do that. Kids can say, happy Mother's Day, Mom. I know that if we're going to have anyone over, I need to keep my room clean. So I'm going to go clean my room. Because we need to be devoted to getting together. And that's one of the, just the small things that I think we can do to be devoted to getting together, even if it's just taking someone out for a meal. And sometimes that's where you need to steward your money well to be able to be devoted to getting together because five extra college students eat a lot more food. Has anyone noticed? For those of you who don't know, we have five college students that come all the way from faith, and they go somewhere for lunch, and I have found they eat a lot. <laughs> and sometimes you have to steward your money so you can have that extra $5,000 in the budget for this week's groceries, you know? <laughs> See, these, these are these small ways where if we're going to be devoted, each part of our life matters. Years ago, Corey Esdor's sin found him out. He went to nine months of treatment at the mission over in Cresco, and Heather became a single mom who had to get a job and provide for her family. Many times during those nine months, people from this church dropped off food and often, I'm guessing, money just to help her because she needed that. We were a generous church. A few months ago, two couples in our church teamed up to buy Alyssa Rogers a van to tote college students back and forth because she needed a vehicle. Today, she's joining the church after the service. We were a generous church, and she's felt very loved. 
after praying for Isaiah's financial situation, and he did get to go to Europe, praise God, we prayed for him. After praying for his financial situation, someone came in and slipped him a check. We were a generous church. Last week, I heard of someone opening up their home to a church member who needs houses. We were being a generous church. Just the other day, Jim Bell trimmed the trees right out front here, and he used his tools and gravel rake to get all the gravel out of the grass. Now, if you've ever had to rake gravel out of a gra the grass, you're really gra glad for Jim using his tools to get the gravel out of the grass. He's generous with his stuff. Weekly, John uses his skill and tools to create an incredible space in the basement. If you haven't seen it, I've been working down there. Just being generous with time and resources and tools. Every week, people are generous with their to serve the church. God's church is to be a gathering church. Secondly, is to be a generous church. Third target we should shoot for is to be a going church. Verse 43, it says, And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. Were the wonders and signs being done in the building? Oh, they're going out. They're going out to go do these wonders and signs. Verse 46 says, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. These people got together and they went out. Listen to this quote from Warren Wearsby. He says this, the early believers did not open the door of the upper room and ask outsiders to come in, nor did they put a sign on the door that read, everybody welcome. The believers left the upper room and went out to witness personally to the people in Jerusalem. Last week, and I think it was Wednesday, I said, Okay, you're dismissed. The church is leaving the building because that's what happens. When you and I go out, the church leaves the building and this is just a building. <laughs> it's just a shell. We are the church and it's great for us to be a welcoming church. Fantastic. But what we have to do if we're going to be a growing church is to be a going church. Got to go out. Because guess what? There are people that you interact with on a daily or weekly basis that I'll never talk to. And there are people that I interact with that you'll never talk to. Because our paths are just different. We just cross different places. And so we are a going church. The Great, Great Commission says, as you're going, make disciples. But how do we go? This has been so helpful for me. Letter A, we must power. The Holy Spirit is mentioned nine times in Acts chapter 1 and 2. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, we go in power. It says in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You don't go out just in your own strength. You go out in the power that God gives. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you, giving you the desire and the power to do his will. This Wednesday marked a first for us in prayer meeting. And it wasn't all that ex expect or, uh, exceptional but we were praying through Psalm 3, and when we got to the prayer requests, either the supermajority or all of our prayer requests were for unbelievers. And I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times after Wednesday, I would come home to Emily almost in tears, and I would say, why are we not concerned for souls? Why are we more concerned for a person's trip than having safety on the trip? then a person's eternal destiny and I would just go home and it would just break my heart that we could come together to pray and, and it was scary to talk about people that we're trying to witness to and, and to share personal spiritual requests and then this Wednesday 
all the requests or almost all the requests were pray for this person. I'm trying to witness to them. Pray for this person. I'm trying to connect with them. Pray for this person. I was able to have a gospel conversation with them. And I was like, yes! <laughs> I didn't do that Wednesday. I did that when I got home. It's like, that's what we're supposed to be about. Praise the Lord. You know what? I don't know if you're supposed to have safety on your trip. Maybe God wants you to have a flat tire because the guy who stops to help you needs to hear the gospel. And if I pray for you to have a safety trip with no flat tire, that guy's never going to stop. One time we were driving along, my family and I, and um, I'm very, very thankful that I have reliable vehicles. I know nothing. I know how to change the oil. I know how to change the tire. And put gas in it. That's really important too. But anyway. I have inherited my mechanical capacities from my father. We'll put it that way. And we were driving along, and our, <laughs> you know that gauge that says C down here for cool and H for hot? And it's supposed to be like right in the middle. It was like, and our van just has smoke coming out of it. And so we pull over. And if you have five kids in a van, pulling over and sitting on the side of the road when it's 90 degrees outside is not your favorite. Especially if it's Mother's Day. But anyway, all of a sudden, a guy pulls up behind us. And he goes, did your car overheat? We're like, yeah. He goes, you know what? That happened to me a few years ago. Ever since then, I've begun carrying 15 to 20 gallons of water in my trunk. <laughs> Pops his trunk. Brings over the water. Cools our engine. And I'm sure my dad witnessed to him, but like it's just, just those small things that are opportunities that show you that God is good. And it was so cool. One who came told me on Wednesday, told me that they had felt burdened to share the gospel. And when they finally did it, they had peace and clarity and boldness like never before. And that motivated someone else in our church to go and share the gospel with their coworker. And just the other day, on my way home from the mail, I got to share the gospel with someone in town. How? Is that because I have all the answers to all the questions? No. It's because you receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you're a witness. And that's how God works. Listen, write this down. This is important. Godliness and going are not worked up. They're worked out. Godliness and going are not worked up they're worked out. Usually with evangelism especially, we just try to psych ourselves up, right? Like, you just try to get yourself enough boldness. But they're worked out by God. If we as a church humble ourselves and by faith say, God, we're yours and you're called Lord. That means that you're the boss and it's your responsibility to tell us what to do and to provide us with the tools to do it. What do you want us to do or not do? And we'll do that. And as we do that, if we'll do that, you'll find that we are bolder in going and better than any sermon series on evangelism will ever do. You can read dozens of books on sharing your faith and still be scared out of your mind. And you can have the Holy Spirit fill you one time and have boldness like you never could have imagined. He is God and He is good and He wants to give you power to do that. And He doesn't change, so I can confidently say that the Holy Spirit who gave them power to witness wants to give us power to witness because God is never changing. So, be a going church. We must go in power. Secondly, we must go in the same direction. It says that they were together. In Ephesians 4, which talks about a healthy church, it says that you've got to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond 
of peace. There's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Have you ever tried walking in different directions? You can't do it, right? If you're going to walk, you've got to walk in the same direction. If you're going to use your hands, you've got to use your hands in the same direction. And if we're going to go as a church, we've got to be going in the same direction. The early church was unified. They were unified in their passion for Christ, unified in their care for each other, and unified in their hope for eternal life. They were unified in prayer, in doctrine, in breaking of bread. And to be a going church, we must be unity. But unity is not uniformity. Okay? Unity is not uniformity. Wearsby says that if you look at soldiers marching, you'll discover uniformity. Have you ever watched those old clips of soldiers from the Third Reich marching? I probably can't even do what they do with, you know, they, you know, they're like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I'm never, never doing that again. But anyway, uh, you watch them and all their legs are same, like everything is exactly the same. That's uniformity. I do not want a church where everyone is me. Lord help us. <laughs> that would not be good. We want uniformity. But if you watch soldiers on the battlefield, that's unity. One's loading the weapons. Another one's shouting out where the enemy is at. Another one's firing. Another one's digging. Another one's helping the wounded. That's unity. Striving for the same goal. And that's what we're called to as a church. Striving for the same goal. And we've got to do it together. We have to do that together. We shall unload. One faith, one baptism. But we should have many members doing different things. And don't be afraid of new people with new ideas. Christ's motto used to be geared to the times, anchored to the rock. And the church is supposed to be relevant and biblical. Because the word of God is still relevant for your life, isn't it? It's still relevant for our life today. This was a challenging quote from Wearsby. He said, people who call themselves conservatives but who resist creative changes that bring improvement aren't conservatives at all. They're preservatives. Like, oh, that hurts. They're not conservatives. They're preservatives. I just want to keep whatever we've had. We've always done it this way. Spurgeon said, the beauty of real life lies much in its variety. And so look around. Literally, right now, look around and look out. How much uniformity do you see? There's not that much uniformity. But you have trees. I can see trees, fence, um, Railroad track tiles, we have grass, we have barn, we have, there's a unity to it without a uniformity. And if you look around, none of you looks identical to each other, and God wants it that way. Listen, some of you have glasses, others contacts, others don't need them. Some of you like spicy foods, others of you hate it. Some of you are introverts, others are extroverts, have money to spare, some are pennies. The early church had slaves and slave owners, rich and poor, tall, short, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so our differences are not a curse to be evaded, but a blessing to be embraced. They're not a curse to be evaded, but a blessing to be embraced. Thriving churches are going churches. Target number four. Thriving churches are growing churches. So we're gathering. What's number two? Generous. Number three, going. Number four, growing. Verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Do you want more people to be added to this church? Yes. I hope so. God did. 
Wearsby says, we do not desire numbers because we want to count people, but because people count, and we want to reach them to glorify Christ. That's the right reason for pursuing numbers. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How cool would it be if that, if we submit to the Lord and that became the motto over our church, that the Lord added to our numbers day by day those who were being saved. Again, I'm going to geek out with numbers for just a second. I didn't think I was a number nerd, but I am now a little bit. If every single one of us, how cool would it be if every single one of us next year um, got to lead one person to Christ? So let's say we have 50 people, 50 people lead one person to Christ, and they train that person to next year lead one person to Christ. If 50 of us lead one person to Christ and they come here, how many will our church be? How big? 100, okay? And then the next year, 100 people leave 100 people to Christ. How many would we have? 200. And then 200 people, do you realize how quickly we'd get our entire town? (laughs) Really, really fast with that multiplication. And how awesome would that be if it's just one person leading someone to Christ? I think that would be so cool that in, you know, we talk about 30 years. What would happen if in 30 years the testimony of this church was the Lord added to St. Anne's Baptist Church's number day by day, those being saved. Praise God. He can do that. We can't. He can't. So let's hope that God does that. But interestingly enough, on your taxes, a baby isn't counted until it's born. Have you noticed that? Not too long ago, my, my family, my siblings are in the child-bearing age, and their child was due on, like, January 5th. And they said, oh, no, we're getting that tax credit this year. (laughs) (laughs) The way to be counted in God's family is to be born again. And this happens when you recognize that God is perfect and you're not. Nothing you can do can make you perfect. But Jesus lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross. And he offers his perfection to you. And Christian, when we received that, by faith, we said, God, I believe that Jesus Christ's righteousness was given for me. When we received that, you received the perfect righteousness of Christ. And all your sin was taken care of. And you're born again. And that's what we desire to share with someone else. And to invite them to be born again so that they can know that they have eternal life. But as we think about being a growing church, I want to share with you, um, I think a lot about the church. I think a lot about the state of the church. I think a lot about our fellowship and the state of our fellowship. And one of the saddest pieces of pastoral advice I've ever received, I received actually just this week, but I've heard it before. They said this, sometimes you need to wait for some people to die for your church to grow. I hope that could never be written on my tombstone. How would you like that written on your tombstone? Here lies Aaron Moore, the person who needed to die before our church could grow. What type of transformation would happen if everyone in all the churches asked, is it I with that? Is it I? Am I the one who people are saying, I got to die before the church can grow? And if the answer came back is yes, if they repented and became going Christians, how would the spirit of church business meetings change? How would our joy change? How much more would God be glorified? Wouldn't that be awesome? I hope you think that'd be awesome. And if you're like, yeah, I'm the one holding this back and I'm going to stay that way, shame on you. Repent. Repent because people's lives are at stake. May that not be the case at all. 
Second Timothy 2.2 has become kind of a life verse for me. What do you have heard from me in the presence of faithful witness, many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also? God desires fruit. And do you know how you know what a fruit is versus a vegetable? I just learned this from my daughter's kindergarten class, but we'll ignore that. How do you know the difference between a fruit and a vegetable? What? Seeds. Fruit has seeds in it for more fruit. How do you know a Christian's a Christian? There's seeds for multiplication. John Jenks, leader of Baptist Church Planner, is president there, asks the question, who's in your wake? When you die, who is going to be a follower of Christ because of you? Who is on the path to glorify Christ, love their family, lead other people to Christ because of you? And that's a good question for us to ask, even to evaluate, am I truly saved? Now listen, before we get to the questions, I want you to know that these four edges, these four targets, if you would, for us to be a gathering church, a generous church, a going church, and a growing church, they're like the edges of a TV. Everything in the inside, think about how much freedom there is in that. Did you hear in any of this text what type of music we have to have? Did you hear that? Did you hear in this text what type of translation we have to use? Did you hear in this text what you have to wear to church? Did you hear in this text what type of building you have to be in? Did you hear in this text what type of lights you have to have? No, none of that. There's so much freedom in what God has called us to be to pursue being. Help me out. Point number one. Gathering church. Two, generous church. Three, four, growing church. So some application questions for you. Because healthy churches gather, will you devote yourself to being with believers outside the building? Because healthy churches are generous, will you look at what God has given you and seek to use at least one thing to encourage another believer this week? Because healthy churches go, will you pray for power and watch for gospel opportunities? And because healthy churches grow, will you pray about and look for someone to disciple? If that's what healthy churches do, will you be a part of that? And may we be a part of that. And there are small group questions in your bulletin as well that you can think through and talk through as a family. I would encourage you to check with your small group leader since it's Mother's Day. I don't know that we'll be having any small groups tonight. Um, but Troy, are we meeting tomorrow? Okay, we are going to meet at our house tomorrow at 5. If you're interested, we'll be meeting probably from 5 till 6.15 or right before the, there's a concert that's going on tomorrow, I believe. But think about these questions. May God use us. Um, may we glorify God in this way. Father, I thank you for how you've given us direction as a church, that we'd be a gathering church. May we not forsake the opinion of ourselves together. May we be generous church, recognizing that what we have is our tools used for your glory. May we be a going church. Give us boldness to share the gospel with others and then a growing church. God, add to our numbers those who are being saved. May we not deceive ourselves with church transfers, but may we look for you to lead people to yourself and then to add them to the church, your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.